Hear now the word of God. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command, because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy. For man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. How much man may toil in seek, however much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Let's pray. Father, help us. It is hard to hear words that tell us of our limits the limits of our knowledge, the limits of our wisdom, the limits of our understanding, the limits of our control. Those are difficult words for us to receive. And so I ask now as we come to this chapter that you would give us humility. We pray for clarity. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts to open us to this difficult word so that we can be changed by it because we do believe, we do believe that this is a gift from you. Help us now as we consider what you have to say to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a a great power struggle happening this week. And uh, no, I'm not referring to what was happening in Washington. I'm referring to what has been happening in my house 
Uh, there's a power struggle, and on one side of this power struggle is my wife and I, and on the other side of this power struggle is our 10-month-old son named Sam. And this struggle revolves, this tension revolves around the issue of electrical outlets. <laughs> All right, the last time I mentioned Sam, I said he was wanting to move but not yet able to move. He has crossed that threshold and he is now moving. And as with all babies, he is attracted to what will kill him. Um, and as parents, we would prefer that he live. And, uh, and so he crawls towards the electrical outlet. We say, no, Sam. We pick him up and we try to redirect him. And that has been going on, not this week, but for the last couple of weeks. And it's a constant fight. His feet, it's kind of come to a standstill. Where Sam crawls up to the electrical outlet, he stops, he sits up, and he turns and he looks at us, and he smiles, and he says, na, 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 and then he reaches and touches the electrical outlet. And what that illustrates is one of the fundamental realities of life. And it is the question that Ecclesiastes raises for us. And it's the question, how will we respond to authority? Jess and I are supposed to be an authority in Sam's life, and so he has to, in his life, deal with the question, how am I going to respond to authority? And this isn't the most exciting topic for us to talk about uh, this morning, but it is incredibly practical, because our lives are filled with relationships that involve power and authority. It is an inescapable reality for us that we are in relationships where we have authority and we are in relationships where we have to submit to authority or we have to deal with authority. And there are times and places to talk about how to exercise authority, and we'll come to that at some point, but that's not the focus of this chapter. The focus of this chapter is how do you respond to people who are over you? who have power over you, who have authority over you. That's a reality in our homes. It's a reality at work. It's a reality uh, in our relationship to our government, uh, city, state, federal. All around us, we face the question, how are we going to respond to authority? Are we going to smile and say, no, 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 and do what we want? Or are there other options? And I think this chapter gives us some other options, and I think this chapter can teach us two responses to authority in our lives. Uh, the response of respect and the response of hope. Okay, so first of all, respect. The teacher in Ecclesiastes teaches us to respond to authority with respect. As he raises this issue of power, the teacher, as he often does in this book, goes to extremes. He takes us to the extreme of an absolute, unquestionable monarch, a king, who in verse 3 he says, this king does whatever he pleases, and no one asks about it. Absolute power. But that's not where he stops. He shows us the extreme of power, and then he takes us to the extreme negative possibilities of power. He says in verse 9 that all of his observations are observations of a world in which man has power over man to his hurt, to his harm. 
And then he goes on in verse 11 to talk about a situation where those with authority should uphold justice and righteousness, and they should punish the evil, but often they don't. And the sentence against the wicked is not speedily carried out. Now, when we see these extremes of power, okay, absolute authority and absolute authority abused, our response is revolt. Right? Down with the tyrants. Our inclination is rebellion against that authority. But what does the teacher do? How does he respond to these extremes that he talks about? He looks at them and he does not say revolt. He says obey. Keep the king's command. Do not hastily leave his presence, which is to say show this person in authority respect and deference. And there's a practical reason for this, and the teacher's not afraid of that practical reason. He says one reason you respond with respect is people in power are dangerous. They can remove parts of your body. So be discerning in how you respond to those who are in authority. But he gives us a more fundamental, a more important reason to respond with respect. And it's a theological reason. In verse 2, he says, keep the king's command. And why are we supposed to keep the king's command? Because of God's oath to him. And there's some debate about that little phrase there. Um, and the, the grammar in Hebrew is confusing. And it, it could mean because of God's oath to the king as my translation suggests, or it could mean because of my oath to God or God's oath to me, I'm supposed to respect the king. And it really doesn't matter because the point here is that God is involved. Where you are dealing with human authority, God is involved. It is a consistent message in the Bible that God has created this world. He has designed our experience with patterns of authority and power. That he is established in different realms of our life, in the home, in relationship to government, in the area of work, God has established and designed human society and human culture to work with structures of authority. And this explains the use of the word evil in verses 3 and 5. He talks about not taking a stand, an evil stand against the king. And that is not to say that the king is always right and righteous. That's not the point. The point is that to rebel against legitimate human authority is to rebel against God. Now, that's a hard message to hear, isn't it? I mean, one of the dominant features of our modern culture is that we are very aware of power and we are very suspicious of power in human relationships. And there are good reasons for that. I alluded to what has been happening in our nation's capital over the past few weeks. And if I'm completely honest, when I hear that, when I see that, and then I hear the Bible saying to me, respect, obey, I don't want to. I have become very cynical. And I'm sure many of you have become very cynical towards the authority that our government has. And my guess is it 
is not just a cynicism about the government, but that we can multiply that in a number of different situations in our life. We are cynical about people in authority, and we don't want to submit. And sometimes with good reason. Because some of us have experienced, we have seen people with power abuse that power. They have used that power, as the teacher says, for the hurt of others. But I need to remind myself, and I need to remind you in our cynicism, that the message to submit, the message to respect human authority, is not based on the character of those in authority. It is based on the command of God. It is based on the design of God for our relationships. And that's not just the weird, obscure message of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Jesus says, pay your taxes, right? The Apostle Paul, one of the early Christian leaders, writes again and again in his letters in places like Romans 13 and 1 Timothy 2 and Titus 3. He writes to the churches and he says to them, submit to those who are in authority over you. And not only submit, but honor them, respect them. And not only honor and respect, but pray for them. And understand, Paul is not talking to a community in some ideal governmental situation. He tells them to submit, honor, respect, pray for a government that was actively seeking to eradicate Christianity by violent means. He tells them to submit to those in authority with a government who, has ta- who they've seen their friends and family put in prison by this human authority because they belong to Jesus. Submission to human authority is not dependent on the character of those in authority. It is dependent on the command of God. Now, let me take a moment and say what that doesn't mean. Okay? Because this is a consistent message in the Bible, and, and it has been distorted at times in the church. Okay? So let me let you know what that does not mean. Submission to authority does not mean that in situations of abuse, that the abused have to stay in that situation. Okay? So... A situation of domestic abuse, spousal abuse, child abuse. That is a situation where other authorities need to be brought in to deal with it. Okay? So this is not saying that the abused have to stay in a situation of abuse. This is not saying that if you're in a job that is toxic, and you have a boss who is oppressive, that you have to stay in that job. Okay? Now, if you're going to stay in that job, it does call you to submission. But it does not force you to stay in that job. We have the freedom and the privilege that we can quit it and go find another one. As long as you know that you go find another one, your call there by God is to submit to the authorities that God places over you in that new job. Okay? This also does not mean that we should be passive politically. Okay? We're in 
We live in an incredibly privileged society when you look at the scope of history, where we have the privilege of participating in power, not just submitting to it. And Christians should do that with wisdom, they should do that with love for God and love for their neighbor. That is not uh, what this is saying, is that because we submit, then we just don't care about the realm of politics, and we just sort of withdraw. Not what the message of submission about. The message of submission is that in the current situation that you find yourself, who are the authority figures? Are you submitting to them with the respect that God calls you to submit to them with? And that's complicated. Okay? It is complicated to respond to this instruction, to apply this teaching. This is a difficult teaching to apply. But we do not need to run from that complication. We need to step into that complication with the wisdom that Ecclesiastes wants to teach us. Now why? Why would we want the wisdom to submit? Again, not the most thrilling, not the most inspiring message I could preach today. Submit to authority. Not fun to hear. Why would we want wisdom for that? Well, I think we can answer that in a second response that the teacher gives us. He tells us to respond to authority not only with respect, but with hope. Respond to authority with hope. While the teacher in Ecclesiastes 8 does acknowledge the reality of human authority. He does not allow that authority to be ultimate. Right? Verse 8. What does he say? He says, No one has the power over the day of death. No one has power over the day of death. What does that mean? It means the king might be able to kill you, But the king doesn't have power over death. He doesn't have power over the day of his own death. So while the king has legitimate authority, he does not have ultimate authority. His authority is limited. Why does the king have power? It is because God allows it. So the teacher brings up the limited authority of human people like kings, so that we can learn the unlimited authority and power of our God. He says, there, are, there is legitimate human power, but it is not ultimate. There is a greater power. There is a greater authority. And that belongs to with God. And that's why the chapter ends, beginning in verse 16, with this discussion of mystery. It's why he says, God is at work, but you can't know the details of his work. You cannot know all the details of what God is doing and why he is doing it. Now we hear that and we're frustrated with it because we want that knowledge, don't we? But what does the teacher find in that mystery? 
the mystery of what God is doing and why He is doing it. He finds hope. He finds hope. That's why in verse 12 he can say, All shall be well for those who fear God. So, see the progression. Limited authority, respond with respect. Unlimited authority, respond with worship, with trust, with belief. And if you do, you are given the hope that that unlimited power is for your good. If you belong to God, if you fear Him, if you worship Him, if you trust Him, then His power that is transcendent over any human authority is for you. It is for your life. It is for your good. So you can't know all the details of the plan. But you can trust the character of the planner. If I were to go home this afternoon and tell my kids that we're going to do something very exciting and fun tomorrow, that would not be enough for them. All that would do would be to open a can of almost infinite questions. Well, when are we doing it? Uh, JJ would ask, am I, going, am I going to have to go to school? We're going to do it in the morning? We're going to do it afternoon? We're going to do it after school? We're going to have donuts in the morning? We're going to do Legoland? What, what is it? They wouldn't let it go, okay? Why? Because we want to know the plan. And how often do we respond to God that way? We hear the promise, all shall be well with those who fear God, and we say, well, yeah, but, but, but what about how? That doesn't seem to fit with what I'm presently experiencing. I want to know when, and I want to know how. How will it be well with those who fear God? The teacher says to us, if you're going to respond to God with worship and with trust, you cannot be detail-oriented with his plan. You have to learn to drop the details and trust in His goodness. Trust in His design. Trust in His wisdom. And that's why we can submit to limited, imperfect human authority. Because to submit in that is to trust unlimited authority and power. To submit to those who are over us is to say, I trust in the one who is over them. I trust that there is one who has transcendent power and authority and he will use that for the good of those who belong to him. He will establish with that justice and righteousness and he will renew all things. And that's not only why we submit, but that shapes how we submit. Because while we should respect those in authority, we do not worship those in authority. So we should submit to our government, but we don't believe in America. America is not your Messiah. 
nor is she the world's Messiah. We submit, we respect, we honor, but we worship God. And that's why, if we're instructed by someone in authority to do something that is in clear opposition to God's will, we say no. Not because we're disrespecting them, but because we worship Him. This is why the earliest Christians could pay their taxes and die at the hand of their government. Because Christ called them to respect human authorities, but he called them even more to worship God and him alone. And so when their government said, hey, worship Caesar, they said, no, we respect Caesar, but our hope is in a greater king a greater power, a greater authority. And that hope that all shall be well, it belongs to us not only because of the teaching of Ecclesiastes, but it belongs to us because of Jesus and what He has done and who He is for us. See, Jesus, although He was the rightful King and although He was innocent, He was crushed. He was executed by oppressive and unjust religious and political powers. But he revealed them to be limited. Right? Because they executed him, but they could not keep him executed. They killed him, but he proved himself to be the one who does have power over the day of death. He proved himself to be more than their limited power and authority. He proved himself to have the authority over sin and death. For those of us who belong to him by faith, he gives us that power. The New Testament tells us that we share in the power of his resurrection. That's what we have by faith. That is what is ours in Jesus Christ. And that is what is our hope. That is what enables us to live submissive, respectful, honorable lives before those who are in authority, even if they are unjust and oppressive. We are able to do that because we live by hope that God has power over the day of death. And He has given us through His Son resurrection and new life. So my son Sam will have to learn respect. And he's going to have to learn not to lick electrical outlets. (laughs) But listen, here's what I know. I know that I will fail him in many ways as an authority figure. He may learn to respect me but I will fail him in many ways as a father. So here is Sam's hope. Here is your hope, and here is my hope. It is that in Jesus we have a better father. We have a greater king, a king who not only has power over the day of death, but a king who is gracious, who is kind, who is merciful towards us if we will come to Him in faith.
Let's pray.